only source of true delight whom I unseen adore unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more oh that I might love thee more you're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian the following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my pleading die. Well, the great things about the ESV is I have this reading version, but they, they try to keep the pages the same, so it helps us in that. You may not know where Romans is, but you can find it on that page, 945. <clears throat> we'll be reading, beginning with verse 6, chapter 9. Just recall that the first five verses, Paul has rehearsed both his great anguish and concern for his people, the Jewish people, his fellow Israelites. And he's, he's enumerated their many uh, privileges that they have before God. So he's acknowledging the great position that they had before God. He's acknowledging his own pain that they have rejected Messiah, Christ. And now he's dealing with this issue of the Word of God. Verse 6. In other words, what do you make of this? That these people that had this privilege, they're the people of God, have rejected the very Messiah that God sent, by and large, not totally, but by and large. And so verse 6, it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh of the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. But this is what the promise said about this time next year, I'll return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. That's the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Lord, bless this word to our hearts, that we will humble ourselves, that we will trust you, that we will delight in your sovereign work. O Lord, bend us to yourself. Enable us to see your glory for Jesus' sake. Amen. This is a very important passage because it's asking this question about the faithfulness or the trustworthiness of the Word of God. Can we count on that Word? What does that Word mean? What does the Word of promise mean to us? And it's important for those of you who may not even be believers... uh, at least we would say to you it's important because this whole world is in flux. This whole world is 
up and down, and no one knows what's going to they're going to face around the corner. No nation knows what it's going to be facing around the corner. We, our whole lives in in death. We are, as uh, Isaiah says in chapter 40, we're just uh, like a flower that fades. We're like a, a green shoot that's up one day and it's gone the next. All flesh is grass, he says. But the word of our God stands forever. And so we believe this is the one thing that we have. The only thing in life, really, is that we have the promise of God that is joined to the very character of God and purpose of God. That's it. We know God's purpose. We know His character. And He's proclaimed that in His Word. That's our only foundation. Anything else, everything else may go. But His Word will stand. So, this is a critical passage for all of us to underscore the trustworthiness of God's Word. Now, here's the situation. Paul has come along, this Jew who himself was a a leader in uh, Israel, a Pharisee, and he now is holding that Jesus Christ is Messiah, and he is declaring that those who belong to the Messiah are now true Israel, and that all of these physical Israel... Uh, those who belong to physical Israel, if they've rejected Messiah, they are no longer a part of the true Israel. Now, the Jews would object and say, wait a minute. He said to Abraham, he said to Abraham, to you and your seed, your descendants, I will be your God. And God will not turn away from his promise. We are his seed. We are his descendants. He is our God. And you can't take that away from us. I don't care about your Messiah and everything. All I know is what he said to Abraham, and we are his children. End of story. Then, believers perhaps themselves could be looking at this and saying, it seems strange that God did make this promise to Israel, and yet look at all of Israel turning away from Messiah. Did he not fulfill his promise? What about those promises? They, they are his seed, they are his descendants, but look what's happened to them. And you can see whether you're maybe a, a Jew, and of course, when he spoke in the synagogues, he, he had both Jews and then uh, Gentiles were together, Gentiles who'd come and attach themselves to these Jewish synagogues. And so these, these questions flew around. What do you do with this? What do you do with the God that commits himself to a people and promises to do them good, and then by and large, those people end up not believing in him. And so Paul is tackling that. It's an important question for Paul. And so Paul devotes a lot of space in Romans to this issue because it has to do with this burning question. It's not as though the word of God has failed or the word is fallen, okay, that it's fallen. Now, this is, this is how he deals with it. For four verses, he talks about uh, Isaac. And then for four verses, he talks about Jacob and Esau. So it divides nicely, okay? Isaac and then Jacob and Esau. And the main word, perhaps, to think about in the first part is promise, which we'll talk about. And the second part is purpose. But they're both connected to this statement, it's not as though the word of God has failed, And you can think of word as God's purpose that shows itself in what he promises. 
That's his word. Has that word failed? Has God's purpose for his people failed? Has God just thrown up his hands and said, well, okay, start all over. I messed up with that one. That was a, that was a big mistake. And some history of the uh, church has almost sounded that way. Well, I messed up with them or I didn't get a lot done with that. So maybe try again here with the church and see what I can do now. So the, the word, has the word of God failed? In other words, has the purpose of God and then the promises that come from that purpose. All of his promises have to do with what he's planned to do. And so he promises, you see. So word is purpose and, and promise. And his basic argument here is that from the beginning, God never promised that all of Abraham's physical seed would be saved. That's basically his, his, how he deals with this. Even in the very beginning, with the first generations, God demonstrated that being a physical descendant of Abraham was not the real issue. The real issue is believing the promise and being a part of his electing purpose. So, for the Jews to say, we're part of the physical seed, Paul is saying, go back to your roots. Was Ishmael part of the physical seed of Abraham? Yeah. Was he uh, circumcised? Yeah. Was Esau, Esau part of the physical seed of Abraham? Yeah. Was he circumcised? Yeah. Were they saved? No. Don't rely on just belonging to the physical seed of Israel. Right at the beginning of its history, Paul shows that this is not the case. That belonging just physically to uh, to Abraham seals the deal, so to speak. Guarantees that we're in if we're part of that physical seed. He says, how can we look at the very beginning of our forefathers and think that? So he first, first then begins with Isaac, and this surrounds the idea of, of promise. Now, if, if you could picture this, a, a big circle, okay, this is going to represent physical Israel, and then a smaller circle within it that will represent spiritual Israel, Israel that has a true relationship with God. And it may help us with that picture as we work through the terminology here. So he starts literally in verse 6. It's all who are of Israel, not all who are of Israel, are Israel. You think, wait a minute, that sounds like Darwin is and isn't Darwin or something. You know, like, well, obviously he's using two different terms here. All who are of Israel physically are not true Israel spiritually true. And so those terms you could use to kind of explain it. Maybe this would help. Back up to chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, and I remind you what Paul had said earlier concerning the Jews. He says, no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. Now you'd say, wait a minute, (laughs) what do you mean they're not a Jew? Of course they're Jews. They're physically Jews. They're circumcised. They do all the rituals. They are Jews. But you understand he's saying, no, I mean, 
really a Jew, truly a Jew, spiritually a Jew, a belonging to God, trusting in God, delighting in God, Jew. <laughs> because the, the word is, means that there's going to be a real relationship with this God. No one is a Jew who's merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from man, but from God. Now that comes at the end of a chapter in which he's dealing with the Jews because they are resting basically in the fact that they're physical Jews. And he he draws many conclusions here. One is that the Gentiles themselves are sowing true faith while you're not. And you need to understand what makes a person really a member of the people of God is to be truly circumcised of heart, not just outwardly. And so he's dealing with the same issue. All who are of Israel are not Israel. Okay. Now, the next phrase, uh, this word because, it says not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. It can also be translated as that, which many take it. And so it would read like this as uh, the... RSV has it, not all of Abraham's children are his true descendants. So it would read this way, to take out the because, and it merely reads this way, not all the children of Abraham are his offspring. And offspring is, translates the word seed. In the Greek, it's sperma, okay? Same sperma that you put in the ground is, is Abraham's seed, okay? Um, and so uh, what he's saying is, All who are children of Abraham physically are not the true seed, okay? And then he goes on to say, it's through Isaac that your offspring. So those who belong to Isaac or through the promise. And then notice he continues in the next verse. It's not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as seed. So big circle is... Uh, those who are of Israel physically, those who are of Abraham physically, those who are children of the flesh, he said that doesn't make them children of God, children of the promise, children through Isaac or the true seed. Okay? And he says that it was from the beginning through promise, not through flesh. And this... This brings to mind what happened with Abraham because Abraham was told that he's going to have a child. Well, he got to be 100 years old and his wife is 90 years old. And there's no way they're going to have a child. But Paul deals with this in chapter 4 and this is really calling to mind that argument in chapter 4 that ends with this glorious statement of how Abraham continued to believe God even when his body was as good as dead and his wife was as good as dead for having a child and yet they continued to trust God. He was a child because of promise, because of faith. And he says, this is... This distinguishes the people of God to follow in the footsteps of Abraham's faith and believe promise in their helplessness, in their helplessness realizing their own sin, in their helplessness of realizing their own fruitfulness, fruitlessness, their own inability to change their lives. They trust in God's sovereign salvation to do for them what they can't do for themselves. That distinguishes the true people of God, not just because we happen to be the physical descendants of Abraham. 
And they do that because they have a new heart. They're circumcised of heart, as he says earlier in Romans uh, chapter 2. And so here's a, is a great pass, a great verse to pull from chapter 4, verse 16. That's why it depends on faith that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who's the father of us all. And there he says, you see, as we trust, just like Abraham did, the grace of God and trust the promise of God, whether we're Jews or not, we become the people of God. And the Jews must become the people of God the same way we do, through following the faith of Abraham, whether you belong physically or don't belong physically. And so in that sense, we want to change the illustration to two concentric circles, okay? This is a Gentile circle. This is a Jewish circle. So this is G and J, but in the middle is C, the church, or those who follow Messiah. And they come from Jew and Gentile. This is the true people of God. This is what Paul calls in Galatians 6, the Israel of God. It's what he calls in Philippians 3, 3, the true circumcision. And he says, now the Jews who reject their own Messiah have become, and he uses the word, and you've heard me say this before, mutilation. It's a takeoff on the word for circumcision. It shows that that outward circumcision means nothing more than a mutilation because they have rejected the Messiah himself. They've rejected God's mercy. If God has ever shown his mercy and grace, he showed it in Messiah, in Christ. And yet they have rejected that mercy and grace. And so the seed, the, the children of promise, the children of God, are the, the, the ones who believe that promise, who trust helplessly in that. And so it's not for all of us, any of us, it's not because you happen to be born into a Christian family. It's not because your mother and daddy go to church. It's not because they are in church every week and you're in church every week and you happen to go to Sunday school. It's none of those things. It's, it's not that our lives maybe have a certain morality to them that people outside of, that aren't as civilized and not as well kept as we are, that somehow we're closer to God. We've got more of a privilege than they do. No. It, it, it's all of promise. It's all of grace. It's all of faith and only that. Interestingly, later in Romans 11, he talks about a remnant that is chosen by grace. They're chosen by grace and not works. And so, right from the beginning, Paul says, it was never, ever because you happen to be a physical descendant of, of, of Abraham. No, it was, are you a child of promise? And so... It is a great blessing for you to be a physical part of this body. It's a great blessing to hear the Word of God and to be around people that love God and trust God, to be in a family that trusts God. It's a great privilege. But it doesn't make you a believer in itself. It doesn't ensure that you're somehow going to be safe in that final day of judgment. You must believe this promise. You must be broken by your sin, humbled at His mercy and trust in His grace. 
Paul says at the end of this whole section in chapter 11, God's consigned all to disobedience that He may have mercy on all. You children, anybody in this church, what is God out to do? Is to bring you to a point that you realize, I'm undone and I'm hopeless except for the mercy of God. Except for Jesus taking away my sin. I have no hope. No hope. And I'm just the same as anyone else in this world. In fact, hopefully, we think that more than anybody. And yet so often in the church, as with the Jews themselves, we begin to take it for granted. We begin to think we're okay just because we're around, just because we belong, just because I'm a member, just because I've been here for so long. And so we need to ask the Lord, Enable me to be not a child of the flesh, but a child of promise. A child who believes the promise. Well, the second part, he, he ups the ante some. He kind of ramps it up this time. Because now, because you could argue and say, well, but Ishmael was a son of Hagar. Um, and that was the bondwoman that Abraham had a child with. And so it's understandable that that one would not be a part of the promise, even though he was circumcised as well. But now he ramps it up and says, now from one man and one woman, okay, and even there's an indication he's probably even talking about one act of conception here, okay, the twins. So you can't get more even Stephen than that, right? Like they're both physical descendants from the same act, born at the same time. And yet he says, before they were born, and he even says that the younger will serve the older, which is not normally the case. Usually the older has the privilege. But God reversed that on purpose. And notice how specific he, he makes it in verse 11. They were not yet born. They had done nothing either good or bad, so that it would be his purpose of election. Not works, but for him who calls. So, to make it, make sure that it stands, that it has nothing to do with how good or bad Jacob is or how good or bad Esau is. And this really rankled some of the early church fathers and it really rankled a lot of Jewish people. In fact, the Jews had this idea that Esau was nefarious in the womb, okay? That's why he didn't pick him, because he was a bad dude even in the womb. That's how far they want to run from this idea that it was really just God's choice only. And and, and, And Paul is so clear here. They had done nothing. It's not that he was looking ahead. If he, if he wanted to say, now he looked ahead to see that Jacob was going to believe. He looked ahead to see what a bad guy Esau was. Of course, if he had looked ahead, he'd have seen what a bad guy Jacob was too in a lot of things. Okay, But that's not what he says. God looked ahead to cease. He makes a specific point. They had done nothing good or bad. 
so that it might not in any way depend on man, on what man had done, on man's works, man's faith, anything from man, but it would be solely on the basis of God's purpose, his election, his calling. And when he uses the word call here, it's that summons into fellowship with God. He said, so that all of this would stand and all of it would be displayed that it's God only that does this. It was said, the older will serve the younger. Jacob, I love that he saw I hated. It means that I set my saving affection on Jacob. I do not set my saving affection on Esau. I will leave Esau to respond to me and reject me. I will, I will leave him to say no to me. I will leave him to turn away from me. I will not do so with Jacob, but I will so draw him that he will be mine. And he will believe me and trust me. And he will worship me. I will be just as available to Esau. But when he rejects me, I will let him go. And this quote is taken from Malachi. Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated And Esau eventually became the nation of Edom. And that passage talks about God's judgment upon Edom and his continued judgment. Edom even stands for wickedness in many places in the Old Testament. Now, for the Jews to hear this, that you're standing as a Jew, even from the beginning, you you call yourselves Israelites, but the one Jacob whose name was changed to Israel, he, he didn't get there because he was good. You don't stand here as Jews because you're good. There has, you, your works have nothing to do with whether God shows mercy on you or not. Your works have nothing to do with a standing before God. From the beginning, with Israel himself, it was only grace. And I want you to notice something here. We, we saw earlier in Romans how faith is over here and works is over here. Look at this too. Not only is faith over here, grace is over here. God's call is over here. His purpose and election are on this side against works. In other words, in Paul's mind, it must depend on God's initiative or it's going to depend on man's works. It it depends on God's initiative or it depends on man's works. And here's, here's the wonderful news that your goodness, this may not sound like good news, but it is, your goodness in no way qualifies you before God. And your evil in no way disqualifies you. You see, it doesn't depend, as he says here, it doesn't depend on how, what kind of stack of goodness, what kind of stack of evil. Like every person comes before God and has some mix of good and evil. You think God's like, well, you know, I kind of don't like the setup with yours and I'm going to say no to you. You know, I, I, I kind of like how many good things you've done compared to the bad things and Maybe we can do business. No. It, it, as you may have heard me say this before, you and I, we, we tend to want to put all of our works before God and kind of hope what... He, he just breaks the whole thing off. He says, that has nothing to do with this. It's mercy. It's all mercy. 
And I'll demonstrate my mercy in that I've given my own son to die in the place of sinners, to bear my wrath so that no one has to suffer that wrath if they will but believe in Christ, in Messiah. It depends on his word, his promise, his purpose. Thankfully, it's in his hands, not yours. And it's interesting when he says that God's purpose of election might continue or the word is stand. It's the same word as Isaiah 48. The word of the Lord stands. Everything else varies, but the word of the Lord is that which stands forever. As it says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. His purpose will stand forever. His word will stand forever. And so, this can help bring about even in a greater way a response of faith because you realize, gosh, I can't even change myself. I can't even make myself worthy in any way. You mean I just have to be saved? <laughs> like some leper? Like a paralyzed person? Like somebody who's blind? Yeah, that's it. Helpless. Helpless. There's so little helplessness in the American church. So little freedom to come to God absolutely naked in your sin, absolutely foul, absolutely lost and broken, and to say, Lord, save me. Like the blind man on the side of the road, Son of David, have mercy on me. There's the cry. Is that your cry? Is that my cry from the heart? Oh, Lord, save me. Have mercy on me. And if Jesus says, no man can come to me unless the Father draws him, what should we pray? Oh, Lord, draw me. Draw me. There's so much in me that would stand against you. There's so much in me that would turn against you. I struggle with faith. I struggle with repentance. I struggle with desire. I struggle with worship. I struggle in every part of my spiritual life. Oh, Lord, draw me. That's fine. That's good. Okay? Helpless prayers. Helpless prayers. Because it is God that saves. And see... This not it, it takes away excuses to say, well, I just don't have I, I just don't have faith. Okay. What do you think God thought you did? Think God thought, well, you can't come up with faith on your own? No. God knows that He must give you that faith. Well, I I don't know if I can repent. God knows you can't repent on your own. He has to grant it. That's the good news. Everything you need, everything you need, you come to Him. As the hymn says, come to Him with no money and buy. Taking off from Isaiah 55, that we come empty-handed, we come broke. We come with nothing to buy the bread of salvation. He just pours it out for us. Because this is His purpose. His purpose is to have a helpless people that believe in His promise. And set before us is the very example of, of Abraham himself who can't have a child and yet he trusts God for it. Doesn't that help you to think, I can't believe, I trust you for it. I can't repent, I trust you for it. 
I have such deadness in my heart. I trust you to change me. I put myself in your mighty, mighty hands. That's the glory of the salvation of God. Those are the children of God. The children of promise. The children of faith. Children who depend on the great sovereign God to save. Let us pray. Lord, we have nothing in ourselves. We can't, if we belong to you, it's the same as as Jacob, that because of nothing in ourselves, you drew us. Because of no accomplishment, no good deed, no anything that was the cause of you to draw us to yourself. It was your purpose. Lord, may we, may we trust you. May we rest in your sovereignty and your power. May we recognize, Lord, there is only one physician to heal us. We cannot heal ourselves. We cannot make ourselves alive. We cannot give ourselves faith. We cannot repent. And yet you call us to these things and you promise that you will give them to us. Oh, Lord, may this create all the more in us a helpless, glad, eager dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ, whom you have given to take away sin, whom you have given to bear wrath, who he himself is God, God in the flesh, God come to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, come to bear punishment. God himself taking this on, God himself removing all that would stand in the way of our blessing and of our belonging to you forever. Oh Lord, may we worship you and honor you. May we be in awe of your power. Lord, may we not take you for granted. May we not say, oh, I'll believe whenever I get ready. I'll put God off. I'll decide when and where and if. Oh Lord, move in our hearts to realize that you alone can save. And even now, If we're being drawn, we must not, must not turn away from this gracious God who is drawing us. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my life. Come with blissful rain Break radiant through the shades of night And chase my fears away Won't you chase my fears away?